15 minutes it is after 8 p.m. And uh, yeah, we go straight into it and uh, join now on the line by the uh, Deputy President of the Economic Freedom Fighters. And uh, yeah, they join us for our electoral coverage this evening. And uh, yeah, Floyd Chibambu, good evening to you and welcome. No, good evening, uh and then good evening to listeners of Metro FM. Yeah, thank you very much for taking time out to speak to us this evening. Uh, I found, I must say, uh, the manifesto of the economic freedom fighters very, very interesting. Uh, for two related reasons. I mean, one is, I guess, the depth of the detail uh, that uh, the EFF has gone into in what they've collected from communities. And then, of course, the other is that process that they've undertaken. Let's maybe start off with the latter. I mean, what process did you go into to uh, put together this manifesto? Um, and uh, we'll then, of course, get into some of the, I guess, uh, more detailed uh, ward by ward, municipality by municipality, and also some of the obligations on your ward councillors. Now, look, the, the process of generating the manifesto of the EFF was primarily twofold, if we were to broaden the category, should mm. have clear program in terms of how do we have proper sanitation, how do you abolish the pit toilet system that continue to define a lot of um, uh, schools, particularly in the rural areas. But also, how do we then structure a program to support the schooling system? What can a municipality do? Like, how, can, how can we avail the libraries and information centers, mm. but also to uh, allow people to gain access to information through provision of free Wi-Fi, in all the schools. So those are the aspects that uh, we then got to consider out of this process of generating a manifesto. Mm. And we then got to produce the most comprehensive sure. and most detailed manifesto. This is uh, the, the history of politics in South Africa. I wanted to say 1994 because even since the, the, the emergence of what is called South Africa today, there's never been a manifesto this detailed. Floyd, hold the line there for me for a second. We're going to take a quick spot break. But when we come back, uh, unfortunately, we don't have enough time to go into detailed ward by ward, municipality by municipality. But I want us to maybe just talk about, uh, I guess, EFF municipalities' uh, commitments on the questions of land and agrarian reform, on housing, and, of course, on the economy as well. And, uh, yeah, a few ideas here. Uh, if I can just read one from that manifesto, we're saying every EFF municipality will build retail trading stores for street vendors and will prohibit the confiscation of street vendors' goods as a means of enforcing municipal bylaws. We'll touch on that when we come back after this. 22 minutes it is after 8 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro and uh, it's our electoral coverage in the lead-up to the local government elections on the 1st of November. And uh, earlier on in the week, we caught up with the ANC and uh, the DA and this evening we speak to the EFF and uh, the Deputy President of the EFF, uh, Floyd Chibambu, is my guest uh, this evening. Floyd, uh, let's maybe start off, I guess, in your approach uh, as it relates to many households who are indigent, who would be receiving of uh, free basic services, as is made provision for in the municipal legislation uh, by way of refuse collection, free kilo uh, uh, liters of water, and uh, I guess I, I think 50, 50 kilowatt hours of electricity. Um, that is the baseline. You're suggesting that you would do the indigent policy, indigent registration process rather differently from how it's done at the moment. Yes. So our push to the indigent uh, policy framework is, is that all recipients of social grants 
should automatically be classified as indigent because, like, the maximum what of, of people who have, or receive social grants receive like less than a two thousand rand per month, and that is insignificant to could pay for electricity, for water, for rates, and a variety of other necessities. It's just enough for subsistence, just to buy basic food items. But if government then says that you are poor, you are a recipient of a social grant, in some instances, even single mothers and people who are not having any other income, they're given 450. So government gives the money with this hand, and then they come and collect with the other hand and say, you must pay for electricity, you must pay for water, you must pay for rent and everything else. It's, it's, it's just not workable. It's not a way to deal decisively with the poverty phenomenon in South Africa. There has to be a different way of, approach, of approaching this question. That is why we then say that uh, in, in order to allow these recipients of social grants to have as much disposable income as possible for other purposes in terms of the services that are provided by them in a mm. durable way. So, so we, we do not want to worsen sure. uh, the poverty of our people by demanding the monies from them that otherwise they do not have. And you remember that most municipalities, if they demand money from you, you do not pay the cardio of services, the cardio of mm. water, the cardio of electricity. They do all sorts of cruel things, which as the EFF government, we are not going to opt yeah. for because we are carrying a, a movement, we are a caring government, and most people will, will realize that when we take over the municipalities in South Africa. I found some of the suggestions even just on the delivery functions quite interesting. I mean, you want to introduce night shifts in municipal offices, rent offices, and that type of thing, and uh, also going to open the municipal offices on weekends. I find it so weird that municipal offices in many small towns don't open on weekends when the same people you're expecting to work to pay the rates and many of the things that you demand are working during the week. It's, It's one of those things that I find quite unsettling. But let's come to the economy. You're suggesting yes. that every EFF-run uh, municipality will declare a special economic zone with zero company taxes and building allowances. Now, I guess the, the whole idea behind SEZs is to make sure that you benefit from the scale economies and agglomeration in particular spaces. Um, I mean, what will this mean in areas where you might not benefit from those scale economies or where it might not necessarily be viable? Look, I think what we're, we're basically emphasizing is to say that in almost all, if not all, localities, there is some degree of economic program that you can initiate, whether it's in the manufacturing sector mm. or in the primary sectors of the economy. Also, oh, not a traditional SEZ, like, yes. you know, okay, um, so, sure. uh, so, so we, 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 so, so when you get the, the submissions from the localities themselves, they will tell you that specifically that in this area, this is what we can do. And majority of the cases is just the revival of the old mm. factories and industries sure. that used to exist. But we are then saying that the municipality must utilize its regulatory power and re- revenue collection power to incentivize job-creating activities. That if you are going to invest in municipality which is run by the Air Force, there must be a discussion to say that if you are going to create 200 jobs mm. upward, what services uh, do we lessen in terms of charging with the rate so that there is still a balance in terms of what we generate as opposed to have invested in the metro major cities. So that is that is an attempt which uh, we are saying that municipalities must play a role. And by the way, this is linked much more dynamically to what we articulated in a detailed industrial policy plan which was contained 
in our 2019 general elections manifesto where we argued that there has to be devolution of industrial policy in South Africa to find expression in all localities. It can be correct that 28 years since the so-called democracy, we mm. still have concentration of wealth in three major metropolises in South Africa, mm. which is problematic and it's not sustainable. Right. That is what apartheid yeah. envisioned. Yeah. And it continues to be reproduced. Sure. We do not want to have that phenomenon. We right. want to devolve economic activity to be evenly spread so that we also evenly spread the population. Mm. It is not sustainable sure. to have housing with almost uh, all the people from everywhere coming here to look for job opportunities mm. because there's practically none. So Floyd, when you talk about devolution of industrial policy, is it the devolution of the industrial activities or is it a devolution of the instruments that are aimed at attracting that? So, I mean, you make mention, for instance, of you know, tax allowances and building allowances, uh, which in some cases might not necessarily be a function or even be in the authority of a local or even a district municipality. Are you calling for the devolution of that as well, so that at least a district municipality or even a local municipality might have some tools at its disposal to attract and encourage investment in value-adding activities? You know, in terms of the current legislative framework on special economic zones in South Africa, municipalities have got a right and, and, and permission to could initiate the process of a special economic zones. So we can work even within the current legislative framework to mm. try to declare special economic zones. But we are saying that before a special economic zone, which is defined in the Special Economic Zone Act, is fully realized and fully established, we can utilize the instruments which the local state has. That is the rate and that can be given. That is the zoning as well. The allocation of land in the municipalities have got the power to allocate land for different purposes. All those instruments will be allocated in a way that attracts labor-absorptive industrial activities and programs in a way that is going to create jobs. And, and that is not just in the manufacturing sector. In spaces where it is the land that is required for agricultural productivity, mm. we have to give the land. In the Constitution, part of the functions of a municipality include the abattoir. Even sure. if it's not a huge, highly sophisticated abattoir, we can, we must, we will make sure that there is some abattoir in all the municipalities that we have. And what does that do? It, it, it increases the value of stock farmers of the products that we, 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 we look after in most instances because when they sell like uh, live cattle and goats and sheep and all of those things, they derive very minimal value, but if they were to be given access to an abattoir, they could derive far much more maximum value, and then they will then begin to realize that actually it's very profitable to own cattle, and therefore you need the land, you need more grazing land, you need water, and a variety of other things for, for the entire agricultural value chain. Mm. But now it's valueless majority of the times to own the huge herds of cattle because when there's drought, government does not even intervene. They just leave the animals to die without any form of intervention to save the cattle of the people. So we, we are going to have a very clear and directed agricultural productivity policy that will incentivize as many people as possible to produce their own food for their own survival, but also to play into the food economy mm-hmm. and value chain as a whole. So that is part of the thing sure. that we're imagining in terms of how 
who will uh, mainstream and, and include as many people as possible mm. into mainstream economic participation. Because there's no other way to decisively deal with the poverty phenomenon in South Africa other than making sure that people generate sustainable and dependable income. Sure, sure. Let's come to this issue of zoning, uh, you know, because I think it's a nice segue just from the economic questions to issues of human settlement. You're arguing that one of the key constraints to, you know, the expansion and reinvestment in the township economy is the zoning of what are called home-based industries. And you're saying an EFF municipality would zone, uh, you know, and uh, effectively enable, well, enable and zone accordingly many home-based businesses. And home-based businesses could be anything from somebody uh, having a home-based tattoo parlor right through to, you know, a, uh, I guess, uh, you know, whatever operation one might have, doing hair, uh, and even a care-based type operation. Uh, uh, Why is this so important, I guess, in the context, in particular in the townships, uh, of what uh, we've seen around where economic activity happens and some of the distribution of that spatially? Look, what we, we basically are articulating in the manifesto of the EFS is to fundamentally destruct and destroy apartheid spatial planning, which is basically about creating industries very far from where the people stay and then we have townships as a reserve area for black laborers who must stay very far from the main industries and very far from the city. So we're saying that the manner in which so-called township economy should be understood, should be about taking industry into the township if there are spaces that can be created to create industry. It can be correct that township economy is about puzzle shops and giving people container and a fridge and then to sell just basic necessities and then you say, no, this is township economy. Township economy must be the real economy in the township. That is how it should be understood that if there is meaningful economic activity that can be started for industrial purposes, for manufacturing purposes, or whatever purposes. If you want to, if that has to happen in the township, it must be created there. That is how township economy should be imagined. Instead of this uh, poorly conceptualized township economy of the ruling party, that says that township economy is about spaza shops and small-scale businesses that are in most instances not sustainable. They cannot uh, live for a very long time. So we, we are then dealing with that differently. Hence, complementary to that zoning aspect, we then say that we need to also zone in residential spaces in form of social housing and low-cost houses in areas where there is a, a higher number of job opportunities so that people do not have to travel long distances. Mm-hmm. There is a research report which... Uh, was illustrating that a lot of mostly black workers expend between 40 and 60% of their incomes on transport expenses because they stay very far from the workplaces. We have to deconstruct that and have integrated human settlements that will make sure that as many people as possible stay closer to work. The amount of money which they earn, they, are, mm. they utilize it for, for many other activities instead of long travel, sometimes you find people taking two, three taxis to go to work every day. That is not sustainable. It has to be changed. And that is part of what we're going to do differently as the EFF when we take power to say that let us utilize the municipal function Mm. of zoning cities and areas 
to evenly distribute the population uh, of different income levels in different places so that we all live together. We must live together so that we can prosper together. You want to create a municipal construction company. You want to build municipally owned houses uh, and complexes which will be made available to people on a lease basis for a period of 99 years. Uh, Maybe remind us why you wouldn't give them title deeds uh, because I guess effectively what you're suggesting here state ownership of the land and then leasing it for 99 years but I'm also quite interested I guess in this idea of the municipal construction company Um, I was saying the other day to our listeners you know the uh, old matchbox house uh, non-European 51 slash number 9 that design uh, was turning 70 um, I think a, a few weeks ago um, and one wonders whether or not, you know, when you think about, I guess, uh, transcending apartheid spatial planning and even, I guess, the um, building of municipal owned houses, whether or not it's just about the construction, uh, a company or whether even aesthetically and otherwise you're envisaging something different. Now, look, in terms of the municipal owned construction company, we imagining a company that will be responsible for majority of the mainstream municipal functions okay. in the construction sector and in and, and, and the construction but also in the in the maintenance and repairs sector. So majority of the times in the approach which these tendering and capable states have taken is that they build infrastructure, there is no maintenance plan, there is no one who looks after anything that has been constructed. Whether it's roads, whether it's small infrastructure that has been established, nothing gets maintained. That is why almost everywhere we complain about potholes because a road is built without a clear maintenance plan. A road is built because it's a tendering state when there's a pothole, they need to have in potholes to be more so that they can advertise another tender for a person to come and repair that particular pothole. And that is a different approach that we're taking to say that we, we can't we can't have a government whose obligation is to build and maintain infrastructure, but permanently is outsourcing that function. And to the benefit of very few people and and, and doesn't even create quality jobs because if you were to check the average income of construction workers, it's nowhere close to the eradication of poverty objectives that are needed in terms of just how much income should be given to one individual. I think the other example which uh, most of society has been reflecting on and correctly was appraised about now is what happened in uh, in Okumutizuma Municipality in Command, in Queenstown, formerly Queenstown Command. Sure. Where where, where government literally devoted 50 million rand to a tender premium and it didn't do anything. They're going to buy the two fifty poles there and said, yeah, it's a stadium for you. And that is what they do. And and by the way, Komani, it's not the only case. In the area where I grew up in Malamele, Collins Chabani Municipality, mm. they gave one individual 70 million rand to destroy the stadium that used to exist there. And after he finished destroying that stadium, he said that this money of 70 million is very little. Sure. I want to have the adjustments. You must give me more money so that I can rebuild it. So, so, so maybe command is even better because in that case, there was a stadium which people were utilizing for different purposes. You want to destroy it, 
with tender purposes, 70 million rand. And now there's no more stadium at all. After having done that, because of these models of delivery, which uh, the post-1994 government has adopted through the misguidance of whoever conceptualized the policy framework on how government must deal with procurement, it's problematic in the manner that it is. So we need a, an internal capacity of the state with in-house engineers, quantity surveyors, uh, and, and, and architects who even have minimum standards that if you are going to build a road, this is what is minimum required. If you are going to build a stadium, if you are going to build a community hall, this is how the minimum standard is expected. Not this lottery arrangement of who is the biggest briber mm. who must be given tenders to perform functions which they've got no knowledge about, which they've got no capacity to deliver. The tendering system is at the center of state incapacity. It creates a, a, a huge crisis. It's at the center of the corruption that defines and permeates across Lloyd. all spheres of society. So we want to discontinue that sure. as the EFF. And okay. part of the instruments will be the construction a company that must be owned okay. by the municipality and employ people directly at permanent and sustainable wage earning, proper sure. wage earning jobs. Floyd, hold the line there for me for a second. We want to go and take a quick spot break. But uh, when we come back, we'll continue our discussion with uh, the EFF's Deputy President, Floyd Chibambu. We'll take a look at uh, yeah, some of their plans in the world of transport. It makes no sense that Kushala Kustiwa Agukomali for service delivery, while the government mm. still continues to procure goods and services for at, at 200% we mark up. It makes no sense to me. And also... We also know that at the center of these political killings that are continuing in this country, it is the same tenders because Amakabani Afunuba Pakati in the gravy train. So we must do away with this thing because I think it is a condition. No, 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 no. You're going to make my ancestors very, very unhappy. And go, you potlinja. But uh, yeah, thank you very much for those voice notes and uh, please continue to send them through. Uh, And uh, yeah, I'm still in discussion with uh, the uh, Deputy President of the EFF, Floyd Chibambu. Floyd, what do you make of some of those comments there? I mean, uh, one, I guess, uh, saying much of what you were saying before we went to that break, uh, that a big part of the political economy of corruption in South Africa has a lot to do with the outsourcing of what should be core functions. Yes, that is at the center of our manifesto and how we've got to approach the local state and everywhere else where we get to participate at the EFF. We've always said that let us build internal state capacity. It's actually one of our cardinal pillars in the EFF to say we should build internal capacity. Like if you check in a part of the manifesto that speaks about the victories, majority of the victories were about insulting of workers. The example is Johannesburg, where security guards who used to be paid 2,500 or less as salaries are now, because they are enforced through a motion of the EFF, are paid well above 8,500. They've got proper benefits as employees of the municipality. They are fully integrated uh, as, as employees. So we've, we've literally got to improve the quality of lives of the people. And of course, with the resistance from the politicians who are acting as conduits of these tenderpreneurs who are milking the state of 
of, of lots of resources for their own enrichment. So the approach of the EFF is, is basically uh, one of the most logical uh, interventions in terms of how we should handle the employment at government level. And we did not just leave it there. So part of the private members' bills and legislation that were introduced in Parliament is called the Enforcing of All Government Workers' Bills. It, it, particularly in terms of the people who, who, who do general services, cleaners, and, and security guards, because they are permanently part of those establishments and institutions. It doesn't make sense why they have to be employed through a third party. You can mm. employ them directly. They are part of the institution. They can be given proper benefits and employment benefits that are happening. Instead of just uh, importing three individuals uh, on, on over a uh, rated prices, and one thing which, by the way, we, 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 we always illustrate is that when the enforcing happened in the areas where we made motions, the, 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 the local municipalities got to even save a lot of money because you would find a situation where a private company, a private security company was charging 15000 to 25000 per worker, but paying that worker 2500 and and taking the rest, pocketing the rest. But now when you're paying the workers directly, you have you, you, you have saved a lot of money because now you don't have the obligation to pay the the, the, the fifteen thousand to twenty five thousand per worker. You're now paying the worker directly, you hold them accountable in terms of what is expected. So that model is the better and, and much more distributive approach to the local state which we have always emphasized on as the EFS. There's minute victories that we've achieved. And I think that most workers who are being outsourced and they've been working for third parties in municipalities, when they vote for the EFF who take over government, they must be rest assured that they're going to be dignified workers of the municipality and they will work for the state in a way that is much more sustainable and respectful and respectable in a way that uh, it is. So that is, that is, that is the, the, the better way to handle these things. But also it will eliminate the corrupt activities that have got to define how these tenders are, de- are, are decided. People kill each other and fight among themselves for these tenders. But once you have employed people directly, we're going to get rid of that crisis. Mm. Floyd, hold the line there for me for a second. We're going to take the last of our spot breaks. And when we come back, I want us to talk about transport. And uh, you're suggesting that you're going to be able to issue taxi permits within 48 hours of application. I want us to talk about what implications that's going to have for those in the ride-hailing business, but more importantly, uh, for much of the contests and the violence we've seen in the minibus taxi industry. Nine minutes it is. Uh, well, now eight minutes uh, before 9 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro. We continue with our electoral coverage, and I'm joined by the Deputy President of the Economic Freedom Fighters, Floyd Chibambu. Floyd, uh, let's continue. Uh, We've uh, spoken just briefly, I guess, about human settlements and the role of the uh, municipal uh, construction company in uh, many of your infrastructure designs of a future EFF municipality. Um, talk to me briefly about, I guess, you, some of your thoughts on transport, a critical part of you know, the sp- spatial design of many of our cities and towns in South Africa. And I want to start off just briefly, I guess, on this issue of taxi permits, which are issued, you know, by the authorities, really trying to regulate routes and to regulate and ensure there's no saturation in the minibus taxi industry, but also more latterly in the ride hailing business. 
Talk to me about how an EFF municipality would deal with some of the tensions that undoubtedly have at their centre. Uh, the distribution of permits and, of course, uh, I guess the configuration of some of the associations that organise in these spaces. Look, one of the... You're also suggesting you're going to fix or repair potholes, uh, broken traffic lights and all of that in 24 and 48 hours. And I guess I want to marry that to a comment that's come through from uh, one of your supporters here. Disky Tactics on Twitter says, please ask the deputy president just as we wrap up uh, that uh, uh, the EFF must produce tangible numbers on this. From a cost perspective, state construction company uh, uh, versus, I guess, uh, normal tender cost. And uh, what are some of the costs going to look like, I guess, by way of the expenditure bill of the municipality? And I think this is very important, least of all in the context of some of the austerity we're seeing in other tiers of government that are critical to the functioning of local government. Look, you know, once you've got the internal function of the construction company and the maintenance company in the municipality, they cannot be a difficulty with fixing potholes within 24, 48 hours. Because once the pothole happens, the, the people who work for the municipality, there must be a hotline that says that there's a pothole that is emerging in these streets and everything else there. And then the municipal workers are sent there. It's their job every day to wait that the women the maintain the infrastructure. Why should it take two months or even a week to, 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 to repair a pothole. If they've got permanent employees who are working for the municipality, they've got the building material, they've got the cement, they've got the instruments and the implements to repair the potholes. Once the pothole comes, you go and repair that. That's inclusive of robots and all these basic things. That is why we emphasize that there has to be internal capacity to contract, but also to maintain and, and, and make sure that all the infrastructure that are under the care of the municipality are kept at quality level at all times. It can't be that you wait for everything else to be broken before you issue another tender. At the center of destroying and discontinuing the tender system is to make sure that we have got a, a, a much more efficient and quicker to respond system that will respond to all the damages that happen to municipal, municipal infrastructure, inclusive of roads and all these basic things that got to happen. So that is the principle that we, we can maintain, and it is implementable. We will demonstrate when we are in charge of the local state in many parts of South Africa. Floyd, thank you very much for generously sharing your time with us this evening. Now, thank you very much for having us, and we encourage everyone, including you, to vote for change. We say it's London Club's man, Jay. <laughs> Floyd Chibamu is the Deputy President of the Economic Freedom Fighters. This is Posap Kalanga. The man with the music is already standing by. He's with you from now 9 through to midnight. Big thank you, Chola Nochoas, for putting together this great product. Have yourself a great evening. Take strength, Africa. Kubanangoku, Sisaibanga, Le Economy.